Alright, welcome to another episode of Rosen Balls. I was supposed to drop one last week, NBA Finals preview. But why not preview Game 3 of the Finals? Uh, we got ourselves a series tied 1-1, obviously. And, you know, I love fine, I love series narratives in the playoffs, right? It's like when people are just so gut-reactive. Uh, you know, Boston, I think, has an impressive Game 1 win. Um... Obviously, they shot the ball incredibly well, right? People say game one's a fielder game. I get it. I think game one, pretty necessary game for the road team to steal, and they did it. And then Gold State, you know, plays desperate game two, as they should, because if you're down 2-0, uh, you lost your two games at home. I mean, you're, you're, you know, the other team is looking at sweep. That, that's a pretty big hill to climb. So you got to expect Gold State's going to come out the way it did in game two. So... If you told me, right, and this is the better way to think about it, is like just like, instead of reacting to, you know, a blowout loss or, you know, how a team got outplayed and can they come back and all that, um, you know, teams don't get shell-shocked, right? I remember in 2002, uh, you know, I was feeling high about the Celtics then with Walker and Pierce and they just won game three. Uh, against the Nets, they split at home. They split on the uh, in New Jersey, and they won Game Three behind, uh, you know, crazy comeback. And people were like, "Oh, you know, New Jersey's not going to be able to come back from that." And they did. They won the series. It happens all the time, right? I think the the you can't base things off the last game. You got to look at other things and the matchups and stuff. And can certain players and teams get what they want and, and when they want it? Kind of thing. Is there? I think it's going to be stopped, right? So, as a Celtics fan, you take this, absolutely. You split it, it goes state. This is going to be a long series. No one thought this was going to go four or five games, okay? This is going to go six or seven. And you're waiting for, like, the close games. And, and that's what I'm waiting for, um, for the Celtics' sake, right? I have I felt like they haven't been able to close. And you got to think, game three uh, is going to be... A big game because you know I suspect, and again, again, it could be split as well, right? Um, but can the Celtics? I want to see if the Celtics could close out a game where it's like you know within a five-point game down the stretch, and they could get the timely buckets down down the stretch. They haven't been able to do that. The biggest thing, they respond well, right? So when they lose such a game, they usually come out strong and then they blow out, right? So they're good at that. But, you know, there's going to be tight games, and you can't blow out everybody. And that's what happened the Milwaukee series. I think this team is more talented than Milwaukee. So they're going to have to see if they close out. Game three is a big game for that. This game should be close, right? And then the next question is going to be, how do they respond? Can they, you know, put the put the foot on the jugular, right? And how do they respond from... Uh, uh, from, from a win, right? But obviously they don't respond in such a way, so we'll see. Um, but you can't you can't play this game of like, oh, well, they won game three by whatever. I mean, I can play this both ways, right? And there's a couple things that both teams can't stop, so it's going to be a question of who demands their will more, whose strength is bigger, and who demands it more on the other team. So let's play that game. The Celtics right now have no clue how to stop a high pick and roll with Curry. Gold State should be running that all day, right? 
then it's going to be about adjustments. How do you adjust to that? But as good of a defender Smart is, or even Derek White, that screen comes up, up at the top of the key. Celtics have been playing drop coverage this whole playoffs. And then, you know, they've been living by it. It's fine. You can't do that against such a great shooter like Curry. He can get hot, and he can single-handedly win a game for them. So, does that make Robert Williams unplayable? I don't know. Is Tysley to play more? Could he be better in drop? I'm not sure. But they're going to have to be able to stop that high pick and roll. I have to make an adjustment for it. Um, and for me, so that's Golden State strength. Let's, let's just simplify it, right? Because then I could play this chess game, right? If Boston comes up and they send two guys, two people up to kind of co- cover Curry and they don't drop, then now you're dealing with one of the better um, rotational passing teams in the league and Draymond Green, one of the better high post passers, right? So that if you're Curry, you just drop it a green and then that creates a whole lot of havoc. You're basically playing, you know, a, a three on two or a four on three in sort of, you know, the, the high post in. So then Green's going to have a chance. He's going to be surrounded by shooters. Curry's also good at getting the ball back, right? So he doesn't come out of the play. He goes back in. And that's how Golden State's going to get you. So the, the Celtics really need to play units where the big defender is able to sort of stay with Curry and roll with that, right? One of the... The reasons why that Cleveland team won in 2016 was obviously the notion of small ball lineups, which were big. But Kevin Love, at the end of that game, if you remember, uh, was staying on Curry a bit, right? Kevin Love, who's usually not a great defender, um, was fantastic when it counted on that end. So that's a big piece. They're going to need Grant Williams or even Daniel Tice, maybe. I'm not saying necessity, especially Al Horford. Al Horford's slow. I don't think Al Horford could stay with him. Uh, around the perimeter. It doesn't have to happen every single time. It has to happen enough where you're making enough of an impact where for him to score 28 points, it's not on 60% true shooting percentage. It's closer to 55% true shooting. Right? He's still going to get his. He's still going to shoot a solid true shooting percentage. But let's bring it down from you know 1.7 points per possession running that play to 1.4. Okay? Or 1.3, and we got we got a better shot here. All right, so that's the first. That's Golden State sort of strength. Will they impose that will and that strength enough on Boston? How does Boston adjust? How does Golden State counter? That's that big question. And it could be like the Celtics just get two people on, and they have enough rotational help to mitigate the uh, the three on four that I mentioned. Right. So like, you know, if Green gets it, maybe maybe you don't run at Green. When he's the high post, you let Green try to drive or shoot some floaters and stuff and, and let Green beat you from the high post. That's another strategy, right? Or you, you pick and choose which perimeter guys you're going to run at, right? So you identify them. You're like, obviously, Clay, we're going to still stick with him, but we're going to let, you know, Wiggins try to beat us from the perimeter. Okay, that's another option. Um, you know, and then Goldstein's probably going to counter by playing Poole and Thompson together. So this is a chess game, right? you got to counter it. But they have to counter the first thing, which is, you can't play Curry and drop coverage, right? And my issue with Boston a little bit is they're not even at stage three yet. They should be at stage three by this time, right? Based on Seth Curry's first quarter, if I were their coach, I'd be like, okay, but this isn't happening. We have to obviously have two guys up. It's a quasi-double team on Curry in the perimeter, not a hard double team, but like a soft double team, if you will. Let him give it up to Green. Look, Green probably beat me from the high post. And uh, then, you know, again, they're going to counter that. But, but I would have to get to, like, a stage two or stage three at this point 
Boston's actually still at stage one. They're still doing drop. It's ridiculous. On the Celtics side, Golden State does not have an answer for Tatum and Brown getting into the lane. Okay? And in Boston, he's going to get those calls. There's a, a famous great book. I highly recommend it called Scorecasting. And people talk about, you know, bias refs and all that, right? So refs are humans, and humans make subjective calls, okay? And the NBA has more subjective calls than than most leagues, right? In baseball, there's a clear strike zone. There's a clear, if he got it in in time, he's out or safe, right? But the NBA, there's a couple of times where, especially close to games and stuff, is that a call? Is it a 50-50 call? And shortcasting basically evaluated a boatload of what I call... There's a couple of things in baseball I can bring up, but you know I'm not gonna go on too big of a tangent here. But in the NBA, when the superstar drives the lane, there's a lot of 50-50 calls, block charge, right? Or they get into the lane, there's some contact, and there's gonna be a crowd impact there, okay? Um, and also there's also this notion of like helping the underdog, if you will, right? So in a series that's tied one-one, there's no underdog, right? So meaning, if it's like game four, boss is up 2-1, I do think, it's not rigged, but there's going to be this like, you know, psychological notion, like, well, they're down, are are we going to really impact them to be down 3-1? That's, you know, and knowing the NBA is probably happier if the series is tied, and you're probably going to keep your job longer if you make the series go longer, except, again, I'm not saying it's rigged, this is human nature. So if you're a ref ref in the finals and you want to, get more slots at this later and you know in 50-50 calls you're helping the series prolong great there's obvious calls you can't do that obviously and they get great and these are again one of the best refs in the world I believe that but in Boston Tatum and Brown need to absolutely penetrate the lane they're going to get calls they got to hit their free throws at an 80% clip that's unacceptable right they don't Gold State's going to adjust to that and that should open up the perimeter like it did in the fourth quarter in Golden State. So, actually what's interesting is, you know, Golden State did, you know, they didn't want Tatum or Brown to beat them as offensive players, right? So, Brown became a great playmaker. This is actually one of the greatest developments I've seen, right? You could, I'll give benefit to the coach, Duco, for it. But the ability for the Celtics' top two talents to get in the lane and become playmakers, a la Tracy McGrady, um, you know, some, some other basketball greats, and now they're, they're far more lethal. And the Celtics will then go four, you know, five and out, basically. They'll have four spacers on the court. You run those kind of units. If you're Golden State, you know, you're giving up an open three. And on the Celtics side, you just have to make sure your guys knock it down, right? So if you're playing Grant Williams, um, you know, uh, Derek White, um, even Marcus Smart, Right, they're going to have to hit open threes or open corner threes. And you might live with that if you're going to state. You might play the percentage game and say, okay, if they're running, let's say, a unit. Let's say it's a starting unit. And you have Horford, Williams, and these guys. Let's say this makes more sense when Williams is not on the court. So you replace Williams, Robert Williams with Grant Williams. So you have Horford, Grant Williams, Tatum, Brown, and Smart. You're probably giving up those threes to Smart. you got to hope they're not corner threes if you're Boston. You put him on the corner, or the diagonal, the near corner, and you let him try to beat you. And they did that, and these guys can get hot, or Horford. Horford's a great wide open 
three-point shooter again. These guys pass it really well around the perimeter. So Boston's going to get a lot of open threes. They probably need to hit it at a 35 to 40% clip. And that's going to be the both teams opposing their will, right? Now, the way the Warriors counter is they let Tatum get to the line and establish that um, early in that game. In a great first half, the Boston was in the game. And then the second half kind of went haywire. If, if the Celtics continue to do that, it's really both. It's actually interesting. It's basically... Good morning, Bloomy. Huh? Yeah. Um, if, if both teams do that, let, let's, let's see what happens in a tight game, right? You're going to see... You know, down the stretch, what we'll have now. If you're the Celtics, my other counter with this is like, well, Curry's not 23. This is a boxing match. You got to tire him out. So I think you got to run a lot of smart pick and roll here as well. I think smart against the lane. You 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 have to go at Curry, either to put him in foul trouble or just to tire him out. And I don't think Golden State could risk playing him 40 minutes at his age and you know and the things that come with it right so the other thing here is tiring him out because then Golden State's going to have to put Poole in that situation and Poole could do it but I would rather risk it with Poole making the right decisions I think Poole can get it to a hero mindset I think he's going to want to showcase in the finals and all that and you can play that right so if I'm Boston I probably run a lot of Derek Wright Marcus Smart ISO and pick and roll action against Curry. Either take advantage of, you know, Curry's weaknesses as a defender, or ideally get him in foul trouble. That would be my play. And then have Tatum and Brown serve more as the spacers off that action. And again, they, you know, that's just the way I start, and then let them do their thing, right? If, if they run at either one, they can drive to the hoop and all that. But you got to take advantage of Curry. And if Boss is smart, they kind of, you know, rotate between smart and white because not either one, you know, doesn't have the stamina, I think, to consistently do that on an ongoing basis. This is what I would do. You do that for the first half. You see, you see how it works. And you start parsing. Maybe you parse and Tatum and Brown a little bit. But I think you add more Tatum and Brown in that action in the second half. And then, and then hopefully... catch him off guard, right? That's my move. And I think Boston has more weapons who could be a threat offensively. You know, I think White, Smart, Tatum, and Brown could all control the offense. If we're going state, Clay Thompson looks really hobbled. He's an off-the-ball guy. He's not a guy you're like, hey, get, go get me a bucket in a pick-and-roll action, okay? He's the off guy. So it's really Curry and Poole, and maybe a little Wiggins, maybe. Okay, but again, I, their decision making, I question. Smart and White's a, White's a high IQ guy, and they both have increased decision making. Those pick and rolls, by the way, when they're doing it, you, because you you have a non-spacer in the pick and roll, you could have Robert Williams as the roll guy. I think that totally works, right? So with Williams in the game. I play Williams a lot with smart or white and run pick and roll that way. And 
by doing that, I'm, I'm going to weaken Curry, make Golden State rely more on, on Poole. And, and look, I'll deal with the consequences if Poole comes big and he, you know, cooks them or whatever, fine. But again, it's like, pick your gamble. And to me, that's the only gamble worth doing. You got to pick who's going to beat you. And it's, and it's a better, better, better setup for Boston.